John Lauk on the line. This is the author of The Good Country. That's a history of the American Midwest from 1800 to 1900. John, you teach out at uh, University of South Dakota, History, Poli Sci. You're also the editor of what? Middle West Review. What's the Middle West Review? Well, the Middle West Review is an academic journal, although it's uh, geared toward a general audience. Um, and it is associated with or linked to the Midwestern History Association. And we try to publish articles and research and book reviews and media reviews uh, and interviews uh, with people about Midwestern studies. It's pretty heavy on Midwestern history. And um, it's a growing presence in the Midwest. I think our subscribership keeps growing. And um, I, I'm kind of a, a big proponent of people writing in long form, serious ways about our region. And that's the best forum to do it in. Well, you've got a, a book out. And of course, this isn't your first book about the Midwest. You, Well, let me ask you this straight off. The Midwest, um, you know, we hear flyover country. Um, you know, I don't know when that all started, if it's been long standing, but you know, it's like Rodney Dangerfield, uh, don't get much respect. Uh, what do you have a handle on that? When did, when did that become a thing that the Midwest kind of got slighted? Well, up until the end of the 19th century or the end of the 1800s, the Midwest was the biggest region in the country, the right. most uh, had the most uh, manufacturing and bustling towns and a very strong ag sector. Um, I've dubbed this the Midwestern moment in American history because of its prominence. But in about the 1920s or so, there were some intellectuals and writers and people on the East Coast who started to poke fun at the Midwest. And this slowly grew over time. And it became uh, just a, a common thing for people to do. And the current iteration of this is snubbing flyover country, <laughs> leaving nothing important ever happens there. Right. And so that's what we're trying to fight back against. Well, you do a great job on, on this book, The Good Country, because you, you define some of the things that, that obviously you can't get into all of it. But some of the things going on in that century, the 19th century that uh, distinguished the Midwest. And, and of course, Lincoln is, is a big part of that. You're going to be talking at the Abraham Lincoln Museum in Springfield, um, probably touching on some of the things that you've got in the book. Uh, but he wasn't the only thing. I mean, there was, there's a lot more, right? Well, the Midwest uh, led the nation in terms of uh, developing a strong democratic system, in terms of promoting education, K-12 and college education, in terms of civic participation and uh, people getting involved in the uh, democratic process and voting. And the Midwest began to dramatically push back against the South and slavery uh, abolitionism became very strong uh, in the Midwest. People in your part of the country, like uh, Elijah Lovejoy, uh, carried the banner for uh, ending slavery. And of course, most importantly, in your part of the country, uh, Abraham Lincoln over in Springfield uh, put down his roots, served in the state legislature, uh, served in Congress, ultimately wins 
uh, the presidency based on this new party that was formed to fight slavery. So the Midwest uh, strongly bent the arc of history. And unfortunately, we've lost sight of that and we don't talk about it anymore. And that that comes through in the book, The Good Country. We're talking with John Lapp, the author of this book that just came out. And it's it's those of us that live in the Midwest probably aren't always aware of this history, uh, some of it, but not all of it, because uh, you get into the religion factor. Uh, the, the farming thing seems to be interesting now because, you know, as you say, it was always a big agrarian area, uh, the, the Corn Belt, however you want to characterize it, the Plains. But now so few people are on the farm, but uh, we still kind of look at it. I mean, I think some people in the rest of the country still look at it as a bunch of farmers out here in the Midwest. And actually, it's hard pressed to find a farmer sometimes. Well, I mean, historically speaking, uh, the Midwest was heavily agricultural. And up until the end of the uh, 1800s, you know, by far, the most people uh, in the region were engaged in farming or associated with farming. But obviously, farms got bigger. Uh, There was a great deal of mechanization. You needed fewer farmers. So now there are more people that work in town. They work in manufacturing. They work in other uh, forms of business. But it's still a huge uh, part of the Midwestern economy. And so people aren't wrong to assume uh, it's a major economic influence here. Uh, But the country, the region has changed. It's evolved and it's a lot different than uh, what some people's perceptions are. Now, when you look at the Midwest now, and I know that we're talking with John Locke, author of The Good Country, a history, uh, basically 19th century history, which led up to a lot of things. When you look at the Midwest now, uh, is it continuing to evolve in your mind? I mean, uh, what, what are we seeing here? Because obviously we've got uh, climate change is, is a part of our world now. Um, well, what lies ahead here for the Midwest? Because I'm thinking sometimes we see uh, problems on both coasts and the Midwest is, is sort of uh, right here in the middle of it all. Well, I, I think uh, we just need to exert our presence in the nation a little bit more strongly. I mean, uh, we, uh, there's a lot of good people here who want to contribute to solving problems such as the ones you mentioned, but they're often overlooked. If they're not in the New York Times, they don't get any attention. And so we want um, our leaders from the Midwest, our universities to be a part of the national conversation. And, you know, we need to um, make sure that our voices are heard. And sometimes, we're a little bit too reticent and we don't speak up strongly enough. And we need uh, our universities to promote things like Middle West Review, which includes uh, voices and opinions from the center of the country. I was just working on an editorial for Middle West Review for our next issue about uh, the one-time power of Midwestern newspapers like the Chicago Tribune and uh, the St. Louis um, post-dispatch. post-dispatch. I mean, these used to be major forces in American life. And right. unfortunately, they've been cut back so much and there's been so many reductions in newsrooms that they don't have the presence they used to have. And now they mostly run uh, wire service stories from the coast. And, you know, we need to reverse that and give give our region a stronger voice. That's a great point uh, because I'm here in Peoria 
and used to, uh, you know, look forward to the uh, Chicago Tribune on a Sunday because of the, the, just what you said, the, you know, the ideas would be there and, you know, perhaps something that we could adopt uh, for the smaller city of Peoria or, 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 you know, just to see what the, the big guys are doing, but that isn't, that's not the case anymore. You know, you, first of all, you can't find it. And then, as you said, it's mostly wire. Yeah. You know, speaking of Peoria, this is a good indication of the one-time influence of the Midwest because people used to say, you know, what are they going to think about this issue or this idea or this product in Peoria? How's it play in Peoria? That was a measurement of the importance of the Midwest to the national conversation. But unfortunately, we've kind of shot ourselves in the foot uh, because of things like, um, you know, the 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 diminishment of the Chicago Tribune and other newspapers. Although some of this is not our fault. A lot of these newspapers have been bought up by coastal chains and then hollowed out and the, you know, the properties associated with them sold and the newsroom stripped down to one or two people in some cases. I mean, it's bad. Sometimes you find a reporter at some of these, uh, newspapers that used to be major forces in the region. Absolutely. Well, I'm wondering, and maybe you'll find this and, and maybe you do an article on it in, in your review, but I wonder if there's a, a prospective paper that could step up and maybe take the lead. I guess it would have to be one that's either independently owned or, you know, has some kind of uh, connection with, you know, other than the hedge funds that, that are, are basically stripping these papers down. And, and just, you know, sort of maximizing profits while they can. Yeah, I, I'm optimistic. I think someone's going to step up um, these national chains that moved in and bought up our newspapers. They've kind of destroyed a lot of them and really undermined right. brands of a lot of these places. And so we may have to start over. And I think we're going to have to rely on the Internet a little bit more to cut costs uh, because, you know, we can't. Uh, support big buildings and big printing presses and all the stuff we used to have. We're going to have to be a little bit more nimble, but we're also going to do this in a way that we're not constantly overburdened by debt. That's the problem with the hedge funds and the mergers and the big chains. They get bought, bought and sold so much and there's so much wheeling and dealing. They end up with so much debt that they have to sell everything to finance it all. But if we had locally owned and locally supported newsrooms with some local folks who knew the territory and weren't um, weighted down by debt, I think we could have some successful journalism. We have a great history and heritage in the Midwest of great journalism, and I I hope we get back to that because that's an important part of uh, promoting, you know, our regional identity and regional interests. We're talking with John Lauk about his book, The Good Country, uh, a focus on the Midwest. And John, when you were writing, and I know you've written other books and you're working on the, the review, so you're, you're steeped in Midwest lore. When you got around to, to completing this book or, or compiling it, were any surprises in your, in your, that came across your desk uh, as, you, as you put this thing together? Well, I was surprised. I mean, uh, given the current day politics and our cultural battles, et cetera. You know, I expected to uh, find a lot of bad news 
um, in terms of race and in terms of the treatment of women. But I was really surprised at how quickly Midwestern states uh, adopted civil rights laws, how active their abolitionist societies were, how quickly they moved to integrate education. Um, and, and as for women, um, women's higher education or participation in college was sort of, uh, it started in the Midwest when these Midwestern colleges started allowing women to attend. And this was not done in the Northeast and obviously not in the South. Um, and so building on that, women began to assert their uh, rights to vote and they started voting in local elections and school board elections and then state elections and slowly won the suffrage. And that was kind of a battle that was fought in the Midwest. So these are all things that I kind of had a vague sense of, but until I did the research for this book, um, I didn't really know. And I think a lot of people will be surprised at some of those developments. That's a great point because the little bit I know and some of the history around here is women played a big role uh, in, in a lot of things, perhaps not always getting credit for it, but uh, Peoria Women's Club, for instance, uh, helped develop things in, in mental, you know, to help address mental illness, you know, way back when before, you know, we, we had the science we have now. So, yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, John, the, the, the matter of, uh, you know, the race, um, I thought was interesting because you, you, you don't, um, you don't discount the problems, you know, you've got them in there. In other words, Illinois, for instance, um, they, they had rules there for a while that, uh, you couldn't, you couldn't move in here. Right. If you were, if you were black. Right. And yeah. Then, I mean, and then they changed of course, but, but it did, it evolved over time. Yeah. You know, Illinois is a fascinating case because Illinois is so long from top to bottom. You right. have a lot of different subcultures in there. I mean, Southern Illinois down around Cairo, et cetera. I mean, that's a, almost Southern. Right. Um, I mean, Cairo is further South than the capital of the Confederacy, uh, Richmond. So, and then, <laughs> Way up top, you're in the Great Lakes region with Chicago. And in between, you have this kind of mixture of migration streams and people of different views on a lot of this stuff. So um, issues of race and uh, rights for African-Americans really fought out in um, Illinois. And, you know, you had these signature battles or signature um, um conflicts like Elijah Lovejoy over in Alton, Illinois. And then you had people like Abraham Lincoln carrying the the banner for um, eliminating slavery and um, fighting the South and making sure that, um, you know, the Midwest lived up to its ideals that, you know, the Northwest Ordinance abolished slavery in the Midwest. I mean, that just set the region on an entirely different course from the South and, you know, on, on a course to, to have some conflict with the South. And luckily it came out the way it did because we had a great commander in chief in Lincoln. And we had a lot of great generals from the Midwest and a lot of soldiers from the Midwest that won that war. John, could you just briefly explain the Elijah uh, comment there? I mean, what happened there very briefly for people who don't know? Cause well, uh, I 
Elijah Lovejoy was a minister Alton who had a newspaper and he was uh, writing um, some abolitionist uh, editorials and critiquing slavery and the treatment of African Americans and uh, people attacked him and took his printing press, pulled it out of the building and threw it into the river. Um, and, you know, that just underscores uh, this kind of conflict. And this is one of the things that helped inspire Lincoln to take a stronger stand uh, in terms of civil rights and ending slavery. When, when did that happen? The, uh, the Lovejoy incident? 1837. Okay, so early on. Well, we're talking with John Lauk about The Good Country, a book about Midwest history. What, uh, you know, what part do you think, you, you mentioned in there Van Doren, the, the guy, uh, the I guess, uh, who came from the Midwest and went to New York. Um, you, you, you kind of finger him as somebody who helped influence this sort of uh, bias against the Midwest, or how do you, how do you explain that? Yeah, no, that's a great story. Well, he grew up in Hope, Illinois, which isn't too far from you. Right. And um, he wanted to become a writer and he wanted to get connected to the writers in New York and he moved to New York. And essentially, he was pretty cynical about uh, what he wrote about the Midwest because he wrote things that he thought New York edit editors would like. And so he started uh criticizing life back there and how impoverished it was and how backward these people were. And even though course, he was, even though he had had a good uh, upbringing, right? Oh yeah. That's the, uh, that's the great irony here. And this is how I kind of end the book with pulling back the curtain on the fact that he had a great life and he even admitted he had a great life, but to get ahead in his business, it was very helpful to, uh, take that stand. And I, I think that's still a very true dynamic today. I mean, right. if you go to York publisher and say, oh, I'd really like to write a book about how great the Midwest is. They just got to roll their eyes and not. <laughs> but if you come in and say, oh, I'm going to pull back the curtain and reveal how sorted life in the Midwest is, they would be they would pique their interest, I think. So it's an, it's a dynamic that lives on 100 years later. Very good. Well, John, it's been fascinating. Um, you're you're on the speaking tour, I know, and we we wish you well. Um, what's what's your next project? I, I, I'm guessing it's something to do with the Midwest, but you t tell us you got another book in mind, or uh, what's what's the focus here? Well, this book ends around 1900, so uh -huh. a logical thing to do would be to carry the story into the 20th century. I haven't made any commitments on that yet, and. Uh, I need to make a decision in the next year or so, uh, but let's see how this goes. Let's see how it plays out. But a natural uh, progression here would be to bring the story into the 20th century. Very good. We've been talking with John Locke, the author of The Good Country. And, and those of you who live in the Midwest and feel oppressed or, or put upon, you need to read this book because uh, it gives you a lot of support and says, hey, we've been doing this and that and uh, John, uh, we, we thank you and wish you w well when you come to Springfield and make all those other stops along the way. Wonderful. It was great talking with you. I appreciate uh, the time and uh, I'm looking forward to spending some time around Springfield. Very good. Thanks again, John. All right. Thank you.